when uh, I've had the privilege to be with you. We've been making our way through the Gospel of Mark. So that's where we're at this morning, Mark 9. Just to give you a recap again, Gospel of Mark comes through Mark, who was an aide, personal attendant sort of thing, to Peter, it seems like. Uh, history says that they were together in Rome. Peter was not there as the Pope. He was there to witness and to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Mark was a translator for Peter, it seems like. That's what the history tells us, uses that word about him. Mark comes from a pretty wealthy family. His, his mom had a place in Jerusalem, right? You know, prime real estate, Jerusalem. You got a house there, you're paid for it. And so the family obviously was well off. Uh, Mark's family, he's probably well-educated, uh, knew some languages that Peter didn't. And so um, with the early church meeting there in Mark's house, he uh, was probably saved through the ministry of Peter and then strongly influenced by Peter. So attended with him in, in Rome and was his, uh, listened to Peter obviously recount the stories of uh, and the gospel of Jesus Christ as Peter gave it. Of course, to the Romans, the gospel would have to be presented without a lot of the Hebrew cultural distinctives. The Romans would not think like the, like the, the Hebrews. And so as the gospel came to Rome, Romans would think this way. Okay, so you want us to receive this Jesus from Nazareth as the anointed son of God, the savior of the world. That's great. But why should we receive him seeing how his own people rejected him? And so uh, they would want to see that he does have the credentials to be the savior of the world, not in terms of fulfilling prophecy, but in terms of can you get the job done? Who are you? What do you bring to the table? And so the Gospel of Mark is very stripped down, action-packed. He did this, he did that, he did the other thing. Uh, it's, it misses, it's missing a lot of the long discourses, the teachings, and a lot of the Hebrew explanations, fulfilling prophecy stuff. It's given us pictures from one to the next. And so uh, we have come as far as uh, Mark chapter 9. We are now on the path to the cross. The end of Mark chapter 8, um, Jesus has laid out the path that he is taking, that he is going to the cross uh, to fulfill the purposes for which he's come to the world, to, to die for the sins of the world. Then he puts out the invitation for those who will follow him, he invites disciples to follow him, laid out a path Again, to the cross, the reproach in this world, uh, to live a life of self-denial, self-renunciation, lose sight of our own self and our own interests. It's interesting then that the first thing that happens on the other side of that is that he shows us his glory. And so um, in the transfiguration, we see that. Chapter 9, verse 1, he says, uh, it says, And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now that's an interesting promise. Some are going to see the kingdom of God present with power. What does that mean? Well, lots of people have tried to interpret it in different ways. Some people have said it's, it was fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem, 70 AD, that the kingdom of God came at that time. Well, you know, I didn't see the kingdom show up then and there, so I, I don't know. I don't think that's a very good explanation. Some people say that uh, the kingdom of God that he's referring to, present with power, came at Pentecost. You know, the, the spirit of God, God ruling in the hearts of men. 
empowering them. Okay, yeah, I think that's some of it, but I, I, don't, I don't think that's the whole picture. I think you, you're selling it short. You know, we pick up the Bible, read it, and take those things literally that are promised. And so I, I expect to see a literal kingdom. Was, that's what was literally promised to David and to Israel. So, yeah, I think Pentecost may be a, little, some, a shadow of it, but I think there's more than that. And so, uh, verse 2, he goes on from there. He says, Now after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. You know, Peter, James, and John form sort of an inner circle there, you know. You know, Jesus didn't need to take these guys along with him. They didn't need to go up on a mountain to pray. You could pray anywhere, so what's that about? Well, uh, you know, some of these things need to be transmitted to, to us, to believers. And so he's taking three along so that they can see it and it can impact them. Why these three? Some say, you know, that's the inner circle. Some say these are the people most likely to get in trouble if left alone. So he brings them with them. Uh, I'm comforted by that, by the way. And, but they go up on a high mountain apart by themselves. This would be uh, Mount Hermon, the prominent geological feature there, 11,000 feet. The top of it is, for much part of the, most part of the year, covered with snow. You know, I'm sure they didn't make it up to the top. They wouldn't be equipped for that, you know, in that kind of cold. But, you know, they, they went on a day hike. A couple, you know, uh, you leave early in the morning, you can get there. I don't know if you've done any backpacking. I have, uh, being from California, I did some backpacking in the Sierra Nevadas. And um, it's, it's beautiful, you know. You start, you get up there, it's just beautiful. It's tiring, very, very tiring. You hike all day, a few miles, you know. But here's the thing. It's all uphill. And so... You know, this isn't the full account in Mark. There's other accounts of this also. What it says is when they got up to the top, they were very tired. In fact, it says that Peter, James, and John fell asleep. Now, he had, he had brought them up there to pray. And so, you know, what happens when they, Jesus says, okay, let's pray. It's, you know, very often they are just going to sleep. Okay, so... Um, but you know, I understand this. You go on a, a, a uphill hike. You know, you're up. Let's just give them uh, the reprieve of 2,000 feet of vertical. So they're at 9,000 feet, <laughs> and we want to hike up 9,000 feet, or from you know from the Dead Sea up to 9,000. I don't. You need to get some training done. You get that. They get up to the top there, and they're probably tired enough to use their sandals as a pillow. Uh, you know, they're, they're, you're wiped out. I would understand why they would. Your body needs to recover very quickly. You fall asleep. Well, when they did, it says he was transfigured before them. So don't think that they are there standing around going, okay, now what do we do? We're up here, we made it. And all of a sudden Jesus starts to shine. They, they you know, go to pray and they all fall asleep. And so then, you know, maybe Peter wakes up and, and, and there's Jesus. And he's been transfigured. The word there, transfigured, is, is the word metamorphosis, from which we get the word metamorphosis. And it's, it's a change. He looks very, very different. It says that he's, uh, he literally says that uh, his outward appearance, the countenance, some of your older translations would say, his countenance was changed. It's not just that he's, he's shining, but he, he's, you can tell something else is going on with him besides that. <clears throat> 
uh, his clothes became shining. It literally says uh, they began to glisten, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launder on earth can whiten them. So they wake up and they see this, and it's a shock to them. They don't understand it, and they're just sitting there watching. It says, Elijah appeared to them with Moses. When they wake up, Moses and Elijah are there with them, and uh, they were talking with Jesus. Again, the other accounts, especially Luke, tells us that they heard what they were talking about, that the conversation going on there was about, if you read it in Luke, it says, about his departure. Well, it literally says, about the exodus he would accomplish in Jerusalem. And so they're talking about Jesus' death and the crucifixion he would, he would face in and that the exodus he would accomplish, the salvation he would work out on the cross. Elijah and Moses standing there talking. Then Peter answered, well, nobody asked him anything, but he's willing to... You know, he's, he's nervous, he's scared, he doesn't know what to do, and so Peter jumps in. Peter answered and said to, to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You know, you can see the conversation going on between Elijah, Moses, and Jesus, and then Peter jumps in. And you can see them, all three guys look at Peter, and this is what he has to say. It's good for us to be here. You know, that's not much to say. You know, jumping in with nothing to say, basically. But um, then he says, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. That's how they, they were commanded to, in, at, at other significant times in the past, when, when the Lord did something. They've been commanded in the Feast of Tabernacles to commemorate it with building tabernacles. So it says he did not know what to say. They were greatly afraid. So then when they're standing there, uh, then suddenly the cloud comes down and a voice overshadowed them. And it came down and overshadowed them. A cloud suddenly descends upon them. Now is that for, again, a response to what Peter has said? And then a voice comes out of that cloud. This is my beloved son. Hear him or be hearing him. Peter's got the unique distinction in the world to have been the only person to be corrected audibly by both the Son of God and the Father. <laughs> he just got it back just a few days before when he confessed Jesus to be the Savior. And uh, he responded to Jesus telling them, you know, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be, accept- I'm going to be rejected and crucified. He said, no, 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 not you, Jesus. And then he gets corrected, rebuked by Jesus. Now he's getting corrected by the Father. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, only Jesus with themselves. Now, that's the sum of, the, of what Jesus had said when they would see the kingdom of God present with power. So we should look at this, I think, from a couple of standpoints. Um, certainly, what they are experiencing very, very meaningful, obviously, to them. They are writing it. You know, they, when the Bible says something once, we take note of it because it's in God's word. When the Bible says it twice, we recognize, okay, this is being repeated three times, like the transfiguration is we realize the Lord is saying something very important to us. So transfiguration, seeing the kingdom of God come with power. I think he's giving 
the disciples and then to us as he's inspired them to record it for us, a glimpse of what is in the future, kingdom of God present with power. Now, in him saying that, that they would be, there was some would be there to see the kingdom of God and present with power. He's meaning a very limited audience are going to see it. In other words, it's going to be a very restricted, very small demonstration, a little peek into the future. So what do we see here? What do they see? What do we see here? Well, it says the first, it first says, the first thing it says is he was transfigured before them. Again, his countenance was changed. Uh, the countenance is the disposition of your being communicating more than just, you know, your hair color and your eye color. It's what's going on inside. His countenance was changed. His outward expression was changed. What was it like? Was he up there glorified like that with Moses and Elijah going, this is boring. No, 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 no. You know, I believe that as his glory was allowed to peek through in just a small manner, I believe there was joy in him. And that joy was obvious. The kingdom of God present with power. Is that a cause for joy? It will be. The kingdom of God present on power. This is what we're going to see with the kingdom of God on earth in the future. It's going to be Jesus fully glorified. And it's going to be a cause of great, great joy. The scripture says in his presence is fullness of joy. Now this isn't, again, he begins to shine, light begins to come out of him in some way. You know, the scripture says that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was a man, completely a man. Uh, but he did not have sinful flesh that we have. He did not take on the human nature that had a sinful part of it. Because, you know, he received his human nature from his mother, Mary. His divine nature came, always preexisted. It rejoined permanently in the incarnation, but because it was divinely conceived, he's without that sin nature. So he could have that glory pouring from him all the time, but because he has come to earth and submitted all that he is to the Father, that glory is restrained, and so the people can see him normally as a man. But here, that's just that, that door, that curtain that's closed, it's just wedged open a little bit and some of that glory comes through comes pouring through if you want to see what Jesus is is fully like in his glory go read Revelation chapter 1 what John sees and and he has a hard time even describing it he's he's got to use words with that are that are the like words he was like this it was in the similitude of this it's too much for him to to convey to us That's what we're going to see. When we see the kingdom of God present on earth, we're going to see Jesus in his fully glorified state. And it's going to be a cause of great joy. His clothes are glistening. Um, Then it says also that Elijah appeared to them with Moses. Elijah and Moses. Um, Elijah and Moses, both Old Testament prominent figures. Elijah is kind of seen as the figurehead of the prophets, um, kind of the big hitter out of the prophets. And Moses, obviously the great lawgiver of Israel. You think of Moses, the law of Moses. So it's a lot of ways you have the prophets and the law. The law and the prophets standing there, represented there. I think there's a couple of things with both 
the men and the meaning there of what they represent. These guys are, what, 1,500 years and 700 years before this event, and yet there they are standing in bodies on Mount Hermon talking with Jesus. It's going to be a time of people being resurrected. Uh, it's, it's awake and aware and is able to, and, and to feel and consciously know all the things that are around you right now. You are going to be in the kingdom of God, in a resurrected body, processing, feeling, thinking, and you're going to have a glorified, resurrected body. Is that a cause for joy? It ought to be. So we're, we're going to have those things out in the future. Uh, but more than that, the law and the prophets, I think, standing there, you know what? Uh, the kingdom of God is going to be about the word of God opened up to us in ways that it's going to make look like, look like what we know now is like the ABCs in kindergarten. Uh, we are going to know to an extent uh, the opening of the word of God ways that we'll, we'll, be, we'll be spending Bible studies and having it open to us by Jesus himself, I believe. Because the law and the prophets will go forth from Jerusalem. Jesus will be there teaching. Jesus there with Elijah and Moses, the law and the prophets, the whole thing, again, in God's glory. But, but they were, what were they talking about? Were they talking about the brewers who are going to have a lousy season in 2015? Or are they talking about the pack? No. They were talking about, Scripture plainly says, they're talking about what Jesus would accomplish in Jerusalem. I think that's very, very meaningful. The figureheads of the law and the prophets speaking about Jesus on the cross. Yeah, the kingdom of God on earth is going to be about the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth for our sins. That's what the kingdom of God is going to be about. He is going to be the focus and the center of attention, and rightfully so, as he restores the earth and raises people from the dead and puts them in glorified bodies all by his power. We're going to know we are there in his kingdom only because of his grace and his mercy. And, it's gonna, and, and we're going to talk about that and, and glory in that and worship him for that in that kingdom of God. The word of God is going to be made clear to us to the extent that we just don't know now. There's going to be heavenly fellowship there too in that resurrection life. They're talking to Moses and Elijah. We're going to be able to fellowship with people who have gone before us and, whom are, who, and people whom we are going before. There's going to be saints in front of us that we know nothing about. There's saints that have gone before us we know nothing about. We're going to be together, and we're going to be able to talk about how all the things God did. You know, I think the Old Testament saints, we, we want to go back and talk to the well-known saints and ask them the questions. What was it like, Jonah, to be swallowed by a whale? What was it like to, oh, Daniel, you know, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, Hazariah, you know, those guys. What was it like to walk in the coal with Jesus? <clears throat> I think they're going to ask us some profound questions. What was it like to be filled with the Spirit? What was it like to, to, to see clearly on earth and talk about the Savior and witness of him? We have privileges. They do not. And I think they're going to be interested in knowing about those. So there's going to be heavenly fellowship there. But also there's going to be, well, that, that cloud came down. The cloud's an interesting thing. That cloud coming down is an interesting thing. If you follow it through in the scriptures, you're going to see a cloud show up every time the glory of the Lord is heavy. When you go to the tabernacle and they come out 
They are led by, in the daytime, by a cloud. And then when they finish that tabernacle and they begin to uh, obey the Lord on those, on those offerings and sacrifices, it says a cloud filled the temple, excuse me, the tabernacle, and it was so heavy they couldn't enter in. This, this glory uh, is spoken about um, this way. You know, Peter was there, and obviously Peter, James, and John very heavily impacted by this moment. And uh, they, they all talked about it. Well, Peter and John did. James didn't get a chance because he was first martyr. Um, the Peter and John write about it. John talks about it in John chapter 1. Peter writes about it very plainly in Second uh, Peter chapter 1. He writes about it and says this. He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I will pleased. And we heard this voice, talking about that excellent glory, speaking again, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Yeah, the kingdom of God in the future on earth is going to fill the earth with God's glory. You know, these things are just, uh, what we're given here in the, in the, in the transfiguration is just a glimpse of the things that are going to be happening in the future. In fact, um, when you go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, he, uh, the writer of, of Hebrews tells us this and uses this language in reference to this time now <clears throat> and all the things that the Lord is doing. Hebrews chapter 6, he talks about those who are enlightened and they taste the heavenly gift and they become partakers of the Holy Ghost. Then, then he says this, and have tasted the good word of God. And, this is a very interesting phrase, the powers of the age to come. There's an age to come in which the world will be filled with the glory of God. Jesus himself will be here glorified in his body. We will be with him in glorified bodies. And the powers of that age are just, we're just tasting them now. Just little bits of it. For all that he does in our life and all that we see in the Holy Spirit, then it will be so magnified and so elevated and so strong it's going to be covering the world with God's glory and so um, that's a glimpse into the kingdom of God present with power that we will see on the earth but you know I think that um, that does more for us than just gives us the things in the future as powerful and as real as they are, and as necessary those things are to know, still, the kingdom of God present with power is possible now with us. And the transfiguration, I think, gives us a glimpse into what we can have with the present, in the present with the kingdom of God now. What is that like? Well, again, what, what did they see when the kingdom of God came present with power? Well, there was joy. You know, Jesus was transfigured. When we get to know, the scripture says we don't know Jesus according to the flesh anymore. Now we know him according to the spirit. We know now that he died for our sin. We see him as the savior of the world. That he took our sin upon him and we are given his righteousness. Is that a cause for joy? It ought to be. In fact, it says the, the fruit of the spirit, Once we know that God loves us, the first fruit of that spirit is love, excuse me, is joy. When we grasp that God loves us, it's joy. Now, that's very different from happiness, right? It's not saying that we should 
always be happy. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we can go through great, great sorrow. Happiness is a circumstance thing. It can go up and down. People who are totally lost and living very dark lives can be happy, <clears throat> but they can't know anything about joy apart from the Holy Spirit and apart from receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Joy has to do, well, it's a spiritual communication from the Lord. It's, it's a, the joy of the Lord is our strength, it says. In fact, uh, the longer you walk with the Lord, you're going to find that um, only the joy of the Lord can be our strength. Uh, nothing else is going to carry you through. It gets to be very hard here on the earth uh, following the Lord. It says through many trials we must inherit the kingdom of God. We need something to carry us through, something very strong. The joy of the Lord is our strength. In fact, the harder it gets, the greater that joy shines, knowing that that much greater reality is waiting for us when this is over with. And so the kingdom of God present with power in our lives has a lot first to do with joy. Again, it doesn't mean that we're always happy or we're always, always got some sort of you know, artificial smile on our face. That's not what that means. It means there's always a current, an awareness, something from the Lord that can compete against all the hardness in this life and the difficulty. They give us a sense of well-being and privilege and care from the Lord uh, that can compete against all that the world takes from us. So there's joy also, um, the kingdom of God present with power. There's more than that, though. Remember, he was transformed. He was transfigured. That word is used about us. You know, the kingdom of God present with power can transform you. Uh, That's very, very good news. Uh, You know, you think about it in your own life. I think about it in my life. I am very, very grateful that there is something that can change me and transform me from who I was without and apart from Jesus Change me to something else. Uh, that's a cause for joy. You know that the scriptures use that word from which we get the word metamorphosis, that transfigured word. It's used a couple of times in the scriptures about us. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed. It uses it again. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in uh, the end of chapter 3, it says, The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, that's our same word, into the image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Hmm, transformations, yeah, they're available we ought to grasp that and rejoice in that. That ought to be a cause of more joy in our life, that we are being transformed. Transformed to what? To glory. To glory, yeah. Do you want to see God glorified in your life? That's the kingdom of God present with power. I do. I want, kingdom, I want you know, for all the things that I want to do for the Lord, I guess that's the sum of, of much of it is, boy, Lord, if you just glorify yourself somehow, through this life. Yeah, the kingdom of God present with power is about him glorifying himself in you through you being transformed, through his joy being your strength. 
But more than that, I think the kingdom of God with power now, remember it was Moses and Elijah, those figureheads of the law and the prophets, the word of God, the word of God pointing us to Jesus and telling us again how he paid for our sin on the cross. The importance of the word of God in that kingdom of God present with power, the word of God. It was this morning we read you know, up on the screens, we read together Psalm 119. Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, longest chapter in the Bible. It's all about the Word of God. Um, you know, why is that the longest in the Bible? Well, some things can be said very briefly. You just need to say a couple of things, and there you go. A couple of facts, and there you go. It's covered. That's all you need to know. But how do you talk about the power, the value the effectiveness, the richness, the inerrancy of the Word of God, living and breathing, sharper than any two-edged sword, that's able to divide between soul and spirit and works effectively in you. How do you talk about that? You need a lot, you need a lot of ink and a lot of paper. Well, it's the longest psalm. I think it's appropriate. Remember, it's, the, it's meditating in the, in the Scriptures day and night, Psalm 1 tells us, that leads to that blessed life, that's full of life. And the scriptures, the law and the prophets, all point us to the cross, to what was accomplished on the cross in Jesus' death, that he bore our sin on the cross. The kingdom of God present with power now in your life looks like that. looks like you touching again, talking about, loving, and wanting to tell others about that, the old cross. I saw a really funny treat T-shirt yesterday. It said, "I'm a tree hugger," and this guy got his arms around the cross, <laughs> and he says, "I cling to the old rugged cross." We laughed at that. That that is exactly right. Yeah, you know, Peter again reflected on this very thing. I think when he wrote about that glory in Second Peter, chapter one, he said. You know, we heard this voice when we came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And he says, and now we have this prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. You know, I think his comments on that mean this. Yeah, he he would say, yeah, we were with him up there. We saw that. We saw that glory come through. We saw Moses and Elijah. They were standing there. He said, but more than that, you have the word of God now living and breathing, yours, you can read it. Now, you know, Peter's reaction to that is really interesting to look at. What does he do when he sees the kingdom of God present? He says, hey, let's make three tabernacles. That was their way of building monuments. They build tabernacles, and that was the remembrance of what God did right there. You know, when, when God brings his kingdom in and begins to work in a place He's not working specifically in the place. He's working in people. He's changing lives. People are becoming back to the word of God, back to the truth of the scriptures that Jesus died for them, and it begins to move out of them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what people remember. And that's what Jesus is is saying and what the scriptures are saying there and what Peter is saying there is that, look, when God does that, it's not about the place and it's not about the monument. It's about... God changing lives now, and that's a taste of what's coming in the future. So for Peter to go, let's, let's make a monument 
wow, that really brings it right back to what man can do. And look, we were there. And this is the place. And isn't this an awesome place? And God wants nothing to do with that. He says, no, the point of the kingdom being present with power is to listen and be taught by the Lord. He's teaching you now about how your life is going to be transformed now. And he's talking about what's going to be coming in the future. Don't make it about here. Don't make it about the place and the time. Make it about lives transformed by the power of God's word and about what he's promising to do. Yeah, that you know, the, I think that the transfiguration has a lot to tell us about what's coming in the future. has a lot to tell us about what we can see in the, in the kingdom of God present with power now. And that we can be people of joy. That joy can compete against the hard trials of this life. As we dwell in God's living, powerful word, he's transforming us. That uh, his glory is coming through our lives. I, I, you know, I hope that's in your heart. I, I know it's in mine. I think that's what God wants to do when he, when he brings his kingdom with power to our lives. Amen? Let's finish there. Let's stand and we'll finish there. And we'll pray and go our way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Lord, as you've given us the privilege of walking with you through the scriptures in these places that you've recorded for us, Lord, we want you to glorify yourself through our lives. Thank you for redeeming us from sin. And if you can glorify yourself through us, boy, Lord, it would be our privilege. Be the high point of our life, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Send us out filled with your Holy Spirit to do just that. And we pray in your name. Amen.